0: Welcome to Emerging Europe Talks, a series of discussions offering insight and intelligence designed to help entrepreneurs, investors, governments and all knowledge seekers navigate Emerging Europe. The talks focus on innovation and technology, sustainable social and economic growth and help the right people identify the right opportunities and trends. Today Emerging Europe Talks FDI my name is Andrew Robel, and I am joined by Elias van Herwarden, principal at Location Perspectives Consultancy, a member of the Site Selectors Guild and I think I can say someone who has a weakness for the emerging Europe region, but we'll talk about that weakness later. Welcome Elias! Most of us in Europe have been out of the coronavirus lockdown for the last couple of weeks, so we are very slowly coming back to normal. We lived in suspension for a few months, and it seems to me that investment promotion agencies or economic development agencies, whatever we call them, were also in suspension as they didn't really know what to do during the pandemic. Is that your impression too? I I think we've seen a couple of things uh, over the
1: last 8 to 10 weeks. Um, I think in the initial phase, uh, end of February, March, March, That's the first phase. The second phase is say second half of March, April, and not early May. In the first phase, I think that um, many investment agencies were almost paralyzed like a hare staring into headlights in the middle of the night. Uh, But I've seen pick up on activities in the second half, but not all. I think everybody very quickly understood they needed to take care of existing businesses, try to help, try to inform them, form them. And even the very first few weeks, we've seen investment agencies that indeed put information out on their website, really a, how can we help you and how does COVID-19 work in our country? And it was really directed at foreign investors. Then as people started accepting the fact that the pandemic wasn't something that would go away like the flu, but that it was really very serious. And as people saw that indeed businesses were stalling because they had to use whatever cash they had to fix the holes in the boats on the frontline business. That is where some agencies indeed started reaching out, not just by posting information, but they started organizing conferences, big webinars or one-to-one conferences. Some even put a lot of good information on their websites. So I think that in the initial weeks, and we spoke back then, um, indeed, there was a, a lack of action, which was quite normal because nobody had seen this ever before. In the second half of the pandemic, I think we see more agencies realizing that they must proactively work with existing clients. But that's not the only thing they should be doing. But, so as a rule, I think things got better in terms of IPA, RDA, whatever you want to call them, activity as the pandemic and especially the lockdowns took their toll.
0: At the end of June, Emerging Europe is releasing the third edition of its investment promotion report, where, as usual, we look at how the 23 national IPAs in the region promote their value proposition. In carrying out that research, we notice a great deal of inactivity, actually. Is this complacency? Businesses took some time to realize, and businesses are
1: supposed to be agile and nimble uh doing things in a governmental in an administration in the public sector setting always takes more time. I, I don't think it is complacency. You cannot state that as a rule because some did start moving and some all of a sudden reinvented themselves and they really went into a very strong coordinated action mode. But indeed there's still agencies out there that uh are barely doing anything. Um there has been this Wi Fi survey, a very good one actually was somewhere mid-March and they looked at how investment agencies around the globe were reacting and uh, just to find that not even half of them four weeks into the lockdown had come up with something. I'm not sure whether we can really say the agencies have been complacent because as you know very well not everybody has the possibility of reacting very quickly and also let's be realistic about this because imagine we're running an IPA and we say oh, we really need to do something. And we go and knock on the door of the cabinet minister of economy and say, well, sir, could we please have a moment of your attention? And I'm sure that he or she will say, well, look, uh, go to the back of the line because I'm trying to solve the problems of our national economy here. And you're coming here just to talk to me about a handful of foreign investors. Yes, they are important, but we've got bigger problems to solve at this point in time. So I think it's a combination uh, yes, complacency in certain cases, but also just the sheer fact that FDI promotion or FDI maintenance probably wasn't on the top of lists of many ministers across the emerging Europe region.
0: And uh, do you have any um, uh, examples of that, you know, best practice? Something that you would uh, you would recommend doing in in situations like that? Hopefully, this will never happen again. But
1: will it never happen again? Uh, I, I just look took a look at some numbers, of um, there's an analysis that I just stumbled on and it actually was about the impact of the 2007-2009 Lehman crisis on the economies of emerging Europe. And um, The writer said that emerging Europe never got back to the level it had been before that crisis. So I looked at the FDI numbers and indeed it's not only emerging Europe but for direct investment globally, but certainly into Europe and as much in Western Europe as in emerging Europe, never got back. It took five years or more. So this is going to take a while to to really, really recover. Uh, best practices, um, I, I mean, I, I've seen many examples. Uh, what I personally like is what Invest Lithuania did, particularly around global business services, an area that I kind of like a lot, and there's a lot to do in that sector in Central Europe and in emerging Europe. Um, But they start organizing a webinar and the big question to answer, and there was no final answer, but the big question is global business services after the pandemic. And they staged this discussion and they started shooting individual Q and A's with some of their members there. Uh, Another great initiative was taken by, uh, I'm sorry, to jump out of the region for a minute, but it was by Cindy in Costa Rica. Um, they started reaching out to businesses, but also to the intermediary consultancies, communities, people like myself, and they staged e-coffees. And um, nobody really knew what was going on, but everybody had the feeling, together maybe we can see a bit clearer in this big sense firm So So those are good examples of best practices. Um, Then of course, everybody did aftercare, hold on to what you have. Um, Of course, I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. I think you should absolutely be doing that. But there's also that thing about never waste a good crisis. During the Lehman crisis, we see companies like Netflix, they entered the crisis with seven million subscribers. They came out of it with 37 million subscribers. And that's just one example. Uh, Groupon is another example. And we see companies emerging faster out of the crisis and gaining new market share. I think that as much as it might be difficult budget-wise, as much as it stresses or stretches actually, resources of an IPA, if you see the business community changing around you, well, isn't now the time to start thinking and what does that mean to my business? Because everybody's doing but. The battle for foreign direct investment will continue FDI will come in different shapes and forms. So now is the time to start thinking and I've seen very few companies engaging in conversations with IPAs on exactly this topic. But I think that that is a best practice element that some of the agencies in Central Europe are discussing already. I think it's a reflection to take very seriously. Left and right we see Prime Ministers, Ministers of Economies, and others indeed saying, well, my country is going to be the gateway for uh, Europe, using emerging Europe as a gateway really, to the European Union. That's easier said. It's not that easy to do. It requires that reflection. So best practices, I, I think we'll see clearer on that when the dust really settles, but for now it is indeed. Be out there, be seen, because the old, the, Proverb, I think you call it in English, a friend in need is a friend indeed. If you're absent from the conversation now, don't come knocking at my door like when the dust has settled. I need you right here, right now, as a friend, as a conversation
0: partner. And don't be scared to admit that you do not have all the answers. Nobody has them. So, you mentioned the, uh, the the webinar about the future of the, the business services uh, sector. Uh, I remember four years ago, you and I uh, had our first discussion about the outsourcing sector in, and, or business services sector in the region. And unlike then, all countries and consequently uh, investment promotion agencies across the region um, are now trying to attract investment in the business uh, services sector and I mean all of them, uh, Have you seen? how have you seen the role of, of IPAs change in that time? Have they become more mature or better equipped?
1: Uh, it, it's a beautiful question, it's a beautiful question. And I remember that conversation when we were in London. Uh, we first met, I saw the passion for Central Europe, for emerging Europe actually, and indeed I share that passion and we may talk about the why behind that later. But um, have IPAs been changing? Um, Yeah, some have. Some have, some have really thrown a lot of weight behind the sector. Um, The Hungarians have. And historically, the sector has been important for them. They have continued that. Invest Lithuania has reinvented itself and it's now spearheading the whole sector development. Um, Whereas in Hungary, it's the sector itself that has taken the initiative. Likewise, Czech Republic, Romania, uh, Poland, so I think we want to look beyond the IPA. Some IPAs have just acknowledged, look, we've got associations that are better at it. Let us support them uh, in kind or or maybe even financially. But the key point is countries have started to take this very, very seriously. Whereas when we met uh, years ago, indeed, I-, I remember we were speaking to a number of mayors from emerging Europe and the whole point of that conversation was to help them appreciate that this is something that wasn't going to go away that easily. So yes, IPAs have changed, but countries have changed. Businesses are taking this much more seriously because individuals across an emerging Europe are taking this more seriously actually.
0: And do you think there is room for improvement here? What what kind of advice would you give uh, either those associations that you mentioned or uh, investment promotion agencies to do even better, to stand out even more on a global sort of uh, scale? Oh, oh, oh. Uh, how much time do you have? <laughs>
1: um, there, are two as- there are many aspects of investment promotion. Uh, if you want to promote investments, you've got to make sure that you've got all your legal blocks in the right place. Do you have the talent? Do you have the infrastructure? Do you have a uh, stable, transparent, regulative environment? What about taxation? All that kind of stuff. That takes a long time to develop. You need real estate. Do you have that in the right place? That must continue very importantly. The other aspect of investment promotion, it's what everybody knows is promotion, it's like the sales pitches, the marketing. Um, People are getting better and better at it. Though across emerging Europe, I think you still see quite some differences. Uh, The region has many different landing zones, and they cater to different business needs. But I think going forward, what will be very important, now that we are taking this very seriously as a business, is to cater to its growth. And that means that some cities, regions, and countries will have to focus more on advanced services, more on interactive. And it's not just about language skills. It is about empathy. We're also in the same region. We have countries that are just entering the game. They've got a huge tech Basis. I mean, I just read earlier today, Raiffeisen Bank is moving its IT center for uh, retail banking from Vienna to Lviv in Ukraine, exactly for the people. So I think that it tells us something that work can be done in different places. There are options there, but you've got to cater to it. Lviv has been working very long and very hard to really tell the world, hey, we're here and we're doing quite good stuff here in Ukraine. And I think that, so going forward, countries, regions will need to make choices. What's the type of service that we're in? Are we proud to have 330,000 people working in the sector? Or are we proud because we are working for the Googles, the Apples, and the others of this world with a cluster of 35 people, of 35,000 people? So it's about choices, it's about really developing the infrastructure and it's also coming up with real value propositions because uh, if you just quickly scan the internet, everybody seems to be saying the same, but that's just my
0: opinion. This was the first part of Emerging Europe Talks FDI with Elias van Herwarden. In the second part, we're going to talk about the new trends in the business services sector globally and how these trends are translated into the region and also how Emerging Europe can raise its game in attracting more investment in the sector. Stay with us. Elias, when we look at the business services sector globally, we see clearly that while Emerging Europe's business services sector is growing, other geographies are also growing, such as South Africa or reinventing themselves like India, What global trends in the industry do you see and how can they affect sourcing in emerging Europe? Um, Global trends. Um, At this moment,
1: Andrew, we're stuck in a
0: sandstorm. And I
1: I do not have that crystal ball where the trends will go after the dust has settled. But before we were struck by COVID, if we might refer to those trends, um, what did we see? Indeed the bigger cluster is of course spread over India and the Philippines and they continue growing, absolutely. But the fastest growing cluster was indeed here in emerging Europe. And there are a variety of reasons for that. I'll be happy to have a conversation on that. But what are we seeing in the rest of the world? Yes, there is there's a lot moving. Uh, South Africa is still in there. Um, they are advancing, but. In my personal opinion, uh, they, they could have moved faster, but there is still a lot of voice-based work coming out of South Africa, with all good reason and top quality. Um, there's a good finance infrastructure for the financial services industry, mainly directed at the Anglo-Saxon world, and they do fine. But they haven't really been able to make a mark. Um, though, yes, somewhere in Sub-Saharan Africa, they start serving more, um, more clients, but Nairobi's in there, in there as well. Egypt, on the northern tip of Africa, is creating havoc, really, I mean, a lot of big companies go there, not just toward the Middle East, but really to serve as global operations. Think of Vodafone, uh, their global uh, RPA center is actually in Cairo, and they shut down or reduced activities in some cities across the emerging Europe because they find equivalent talent, or maybe even better talent, at a lower cost. So we see Egypt coming up. Morocco indeed is increasing its reach, particularly because French is so much a wanted-for language that where where can you still find it in emerging Europe? Romania, some cities have space to grow, to grow. Sorry, but not by large numbers. Then if you hop over to uh, let's say the Americas, yes, we have seen a fair degree of nearshoring, or as these putting stuff in the United States itself. But Mexico benefits a lot. Costa Rica, I've mentioned them before. Colombia is raising. Montevideo is doing just fine as well. And Chile is also trying to be more active in the game. So we do see certain hotspots emerging, definitely on a global level, or maybe not on a global global level. It's actually on a regional level for APAC, for Europe, for Latin. But some of these cities, like uh, San Jose Costa Rica, like Cairo, like many of our cities in Central Europe, like cities in India and the Philippines, are really operating on a
0: global level. Uh, so so uh, do you think that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic can actually maybe uh, make the emerging Europe more attractive? Can it speed up the process for emerging Europe, for sort of attracting more business into the region? I,
1: I don't think that the pandemic makes anything more attractive, uh, but it could offer opportunities for regions and cities across emerging Europe to really uh, demonstrate what they have. Um, yes, companies will be, let me call it short-shoring, not back-shoring, not onshoring. I think what we will see is indeed that companies need to diversify their risk. And given that so many places, especially in the European Union part of Central Europe, has seen a very high level of maturity in terms of talent pool, but also a high degree of war for talent. Companies will be looking for newer destinations. They will definitely, if they already started to look at the border countries on the other side of the EU, I expect to see more of that. And some countries will benefit from that really. Does it make them more attractive? No, uh, I don't think so. But if they have the right ingredients, then all of a sudden they may be able to attract attention, provided that they have the right value proposition, the hosting capability, what's the organization like, and indeed, do they really have a government that will support the growth of the industry? Because if you want to attract an industry, you will have to do some investment. But the opportunities should be larger, not just in the area of business
0: services, also in the area of manufacturing, definitely. So, you've been working with the Emerging Europe region for a number of years now, first at Deloitte and now in your own practice. You seem to be fond of the region. Uh, What is so special or different about the, you know, in the region that has kept your attention uh, focused on Emerging Europe? Okay, okay. Well, basically, everything's a matter of perspective.
1: I mean, if you had been asking me about Egypt or about Malaysia, you might have seen the same enthusiasm in my eyes, or, or Latin America for that matter. Um, I think what I really like about these regions, and let's talk about emerging Europe as a, as a real case, is the very rapid advance. Um, you can, I, I mean, I first came to the region, what was in 1978? Uh, I went to the, a country that doesn't exist anymore, the DDR. But ever since I've been coming back and you see people changing, infrastructure changing, businesses changing, there's a lot of dynamics. When I first went to, uh, what was it, Kiev, it was 2003, I mean, you know well what kind of cars drove the streets of Ukraine back then. You don't see any of them anymore. It goes so fast, so quickly. Um, I, li- I like the way that many people who are actually... Uh, in a position of authority, in a position of governance in these countries, many of them grew up for a large proportion of their lives after the wall came down. And these people have a lot of dynamic instincts that sometimes in the West we seem to have lost. Um, I once said we tend to fall asleep in Western Europe. You see it in governments, you see it in our companies, uh, you see it in the young people. And so the emerging Europe Attractiveness, for me, is about the dynamic nature of all these countries, and some have matured very fastly. Look look at the Czech Republic, and others are just entering and actually coming in with a very good proposition. Uh, I mean, I mentioned Ukraine a couple of times. Uh, Think of Kazakhstan, of Georgia, Um, and there's still a lot to discover. And I would only urge people, take a look. Take a look beyond your perceptions because this region is growing so fast, I and mean, we are talking GDP increases of more than 3% against less than 1% in Western Europe, so
0: it's definitely worthwhile, it is inspiring. Elias, thank you very much for your insights. You're always welcome, pleasure to talk to you anytime. This was Emerging Europe Talks FDI. I spoke to Elias van Herwarden, principal at Location Perspectives Consultancy. Everyone, thanks for listening. Stay tuned to the next episode of Emerging Europe Talks.